Hey there, my name's Mark McCartney and welcome to the What Is A Good Life podcast. Over the last two years, I've interviewed over 150 people around this question, not to provide you with the universal answer, but to help you find and define your own answer to this question. While I'm also trying to share with you what I perceive to be more genuine expressions of the human experience. On the 18th episode of the What Is A Good Life podcast, I'm joined by Hannah Janton, who is a co-founder at CGL LLP, a speaker on innovation in the law and work models for mental health and also a death doula. I contacted Hannah for this conversation after reading an amazing viral post of hers from a few years back in which she really authentically depicted the struggle of juggling a big law career and raising a baby. This experience proved to be the inspiration for establishing her own law firm with her co-founder that accommodated other approaches to working in this industry. Just to share a quote from the post with you, it said, I had the sense that work should adapt to life, not the other way around. In this episode, we discuss Hannah's approach to developing more authenticity in her life and truly living by her values, setting up her law firm, her self-reflection practices and how they've affected her approach to life, her experiences of working with the dying, and what she is learning from parenting and her kids with regards to play, curiosity, and letting go of fixed plans and outcomes. Hannah provides an excellent example of how somebody not only identifies their values, but also truly lives by their values, and about how someone is consciously constructing their life from the perspective of her values. So I took a lot from this conversation, and I'm sure you will too. And if you enjoy this conversation, please like, share, and subscribe, as I'd greatly appreciate your support at this stage of my podcasting journey. So without further ado, the 18th episode of the What is a good life podcast so hannah thank you very very much for joining me today on the what is a good life podcast uh, as i mentioned in our in our brief chat before there uh, i came looking for uh, someone with the experience in being a debt doula and then i found your amazing story of, of setting up your own law firm and the reasons and the motivations as to why you did it so i just thought you'd be a really interesting person to interview under the question of what is a good life Thank you, Mark. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. When I got your inquiry about being on the show, I started researching the work that you're doing. And I have to say, I was moved by it. It's really refreshing to have folks asking these questions. And it's something important that we reflect on now, not at the end of our life when we are, you know, here living it. So I just appreciate the work that you're doing. And it's an honor to be here. Oh, thank you very much. Hannah, the first question as I, as I tend to have is, is there a question you're trying to answer as you move through life? Hmm. Yes, I think there are multiple and different chapters of my life. I have different things that I reflect on. Um, one that is always with me is how I can live more authentically. As you mentioned, the work with um, doing work with the dying as a death doula, I've learned a lot from so many people about this feeling, this common shared feeling of regret that people have at the end of their life. And it's not necessarily, oh, I wish I would have bought that house or I wish I would have, you know, taken that job. It's more, I wish I would have been more true to myself and lived my life in greater alignment with my own values. And that's, I think this is just for me and what I think a good life is. Everyone has yeah. their own definition. But um, for me, it really is that living in alignment with your values because it's real. It's true. It, it protects you from that regret because you're living in a way that is aligned with what you find important. And that changes, I think, as well. And so I think I'm constantly recycling that question because what my values are now, what's important to me now very different than what they were when I was in my 20s and they'll likely be different you know in the future and so kind of constantly doing that self-awareness and self-reflection is something that I think about often well there's a 
there's lots in that. First of all, I love this idea of truly knowing your own values and that that being the driver to experiencing maybe more authenticity in your life. But then as you kind of touched on as well, the sense of how that will lead to a life of like lacking in regret. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of times something that helps me in decision making in terms of there's always this question, right? Are we on the right path? Like there's this one path, we're supposed to find our purpose, we're supposed to be on that path. And it's kind of black and white like that. And I don't feel that's a way that everyone needs to live their life that might be helpful for some. But one of the things I like to think of in decision making in how I'm showing up for the day is I kind of see my 80 year old self and she's here and I see my eight year old self and she's here. And I, those are the first kind of people that I ask for their perspective. You know, how will I feel when I'm 80 if I choose to make this decision? And wait, what does my eight-year-old self think about this as well? And just getting that balance, those I think are, you know, are just stages of life that I found a lot of insight from and have made, have not made a lot of decisions that on paper seemed like the decision to make or what society was telling me to do. And that I think helps me make sure that I am in alignment and aware of my values. It's a constant refining process. That's uh, that's already something I'll take from this conversation. <laughs> I love the idea of my eight-year-old self and my eight-year-old self and, and kind of a symposium or a consor- like a consortium of getting the right choice. In in terms of just this sense you were you were saying there of of making choices and like can you give me kind of some examples where you've come up with the you've consulted your eight year old self and your eight year old self and and maybe you've come up with some some choices uh, that wouldn't have been let's say typically expected in 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 wider society. Yeah, I think CGL and the founding of the firm really came from that place. Um, I was working in a big law firm in Silicon Valley, and I had had my first son, and I wasn't able to be the mother that I wanted to be and the attorney that I wanted to be in that environment. And recognizing this was just a short time that I would need to be so physically present with my son. Obviously, you're present the entire time of your child's life, but physically, I needed to be there more for him. He was a baby. And I still wanted to work. I still planned to work. This was just a, a season in my life. And there wasn't flexibility there. There wasn't flexibility with my firm. When we founded CGL, the idea of remote work was not the norm. And there was a lot of reflection. This is an incredible, you know, I'm at this top firm. I'm working with the top startups, venture capitalists. Like this is, I have made it to this place professionally. And having to make that decision of but how am I going to feel when I'm 80 about this? And for me, actually, motherhood was a big prompter because I had this reflection of how am I going to tell my son? I want him to go do whatever makes him happy, whatever he feels inspired. I want him to live a good life. How am I going to tell him to do those things if I commit to working in an environment that doesn't suit me, that doesn't align with my values? I mean, there's just hypocrisy in that. So really, it was just this external gift of my child that made me force me into authenticity um, to make that decision. So I go, I guess he's not one of my eight or 80 year old self (laughs) counsel, but my kids, my kids are big counsel too, in terms of leading by example. But this is a, this is a lovely question again, though, like it's almost like this future position and looking back and seeing how you could justify a position and not just kind of getting caught up in the moment of, 
of doing what you, you see is almost like the by society standards the the conventional wisdom in, in a certain situation right, exactly i mean my 80 year old self would look at that decision and say and which is why i made it you will never regret spending these precious limited years with your child, with your baby and having that flexibility. And um, I also think there was kind of some inspiration from her in the sense that you can also change the norm. If it's not working for you, it's probably not working for a lot of people. Why don't you just create what would work, you know, better for you and integrate more into your life. And so there was also like, I thought of that version of myself and she would be inspired by making those decisions. And there wouldn't be regret there because the big job the big career it's always there (laughs) it's always there if I just you know had decided to go back in to the big law world that would always be available to me so I think counsel from that perspective of how well I feel about this when I'm 80 um, or towards the end of my life really helps guide decisions and just even and on that choice and obviously I've I've explained it in the intro uh, how this came about but like how did you was that a moment where you felt like you're because I, th- I think people's values are usually aspirational right like they, they, we get a list of 50 things and we pick these maybe five words that think sound nice and I think maybe even the corporate world when you look at company values there's a kind of a similar process there as well I kind of think someone's values are the when they've been kind of tested in the in the white heat of the moment if you if you get me what do you think was what do you think was it this perspective or or what allowed you to kind of to to take this kind of more courageous step in in breaking out from the norm so it was scary it was definitely scary there are still moments of that in living in alignment so i don't want to sugarcoat that it's not scary but i think over time you know the decision to leave my prior firm to commit myself to time with my son in those early days making that decision it kind of like builds it's exponential because i made that decision and it felt really good and it felt really right yes. and seamless and so uh-huh, maybe i can do this in other areas of my life and through that process of self awareness of oh that feels good or something doesn't feel right about this situation that's helped me refine my values my values and like i said your values are changing and evolving they're getting clearer so, but I think the first step of just little things, staying true to something small, like I, it's important to drink water. It makes me feel healthy. Being healthy is one of my values. I am going to drink X number glasses of water a day. That's it. Just start with something like that and kind of keeping those promises to yourself and seeing how you feel helps strengthen that like a muscle basically of living by your values. Cause we live in a society where we're bombarded with all this information and all these values that aren't ours and really knowing that about ourselves, And it's just little steps. This isn't like a one, you know, one solution. Um, but I've just found those little steps of anything from like that, like hmm, I had whatever I drank a soda that didn't, I'm just using this as like a random example, but like I drank that yeah. soda. It didn't feel great for my body. Do I like to feel that way or vice versa, whatever it is that I'm not against soda or anything, but just whatever it is, I think kind of having that self-awareness and reflection and taking that first step that it, that does require courage because it's scary. And sometimes you're vulnerable in taking that first step. But as you strengthen that muscle, you can take bigger and bigger leaps to live in alignment with your values. I think you said something real, really nice though here in terms of, um, 
I think when we really, you know, the idea that we're, our values are changing and we're kind of recalibrating as we move through life and, and nothing is kind of stuck at a fixed point. But this sense as well, then, though, that you, you know, you know, when a really big decision and a big scary decision feels so good. I, I think that's a beautiful way of actually kind of reinforcing or, or um, discovering, maybe discovering or reinforcing what your values are, because it's it's doing something scary where, of course, there's still fear. And I, I you know, for someone who's shifted their careers in the last few years, I, I can only imagine some of the stresses you're alluding to, or I can quite, quite clearly imagine some of the stresses you're alluding to. But this idea that it felt so right. Mm-hmm. I think that's huge. In saying that, it brings up when Noam and I, Noam is my co-founder, um, when we started CGL, people kept telling us over and over and over again, you're so brave. That's so courageous of you. You're so brave. And she and I would kind of giggle about it because it didn't feel brave or even that we were doing something, you know, outrageously challenging because it felt so right. What you said, it just felt so right. It made sense. We were in deep alignment. And so I think that, you know, I just think that's a really good point because I can relate to that in terms of how we felt when we started CGL. I think that's it, isn't it? Like it's, um, I think if if someone attaches to their values strongly enough, it's almost like you stop making decisions. Like mm-hmm. the decisions kind of are the byproduct of living by a set of values. It it creates, even in stressful moments or difficult times, it still creates, it sounds like a paradox, but it still creates an ease or a flow of movement, even in in pressured moments, if you get me. Yeah, definitely. It's like the thing on the other side of the courage is more compelling or more exciting for you than the fear that exists in taking that leap and kind of looking with that forward thinking of, I have to have that thing, or I have to do this, make this difference in this way. That's more compelling than, oh yeah, there's all this other stuff that could happen. I could be judged. People will have their opinions, et cetera, et cetera. But the the drive to do that thing or produce whatever it is overpowers that fear. And I think that that's really what courage in many ways is. Yeah, absolutely. You've touched on this sense of, of self-reflection uh, a few times. What's that journey of, of self-reflection or, or awareness uh, look like for you? So I'll admit, I um, have not been a self-aware person my whole life. Um, I think kind of the start of CGL and really seeing kind of the transition there and deep feelings that were related to that journey helped me start listening to how I feel a little bit more. Now, I would say that it's a practice. It is an every day I wake up and I'm self-aware and I'm, it's a practice. It's like working out. It's like brushing your teeth. It's habits for me. That's how I do it every morning. I wake up and I journal and I journal about how I'm feeling. And then it usually evolves into some type of clarity. And I'll use my journal even if I, you know, I have a work conversation and I have this big emotion that comes up. I'll just start free writing about it and through no judgment, which is hard. And that takes practice learning as well, but just no judgment writing about it. And through that process, I get a lot of clarity of, oh, I'm actually that, that feeling of whatever anxiety that came up that's actually not what's going on. There's something that happened here that, you know, that's the issue that I need to focus on. So I make it a practice and it's something I work on every day through journaling has been helpful. And just, I think being more aware with how I feel meditation has been tremendously helpful for me as well. Through that practice, I've been able to separate myself from these feelings and separate myself from those thoughts. So you don't get completely caught up in that. 
And that also, when you take that kind of observer mindset, you can be aware of, oh, each time that this happens, anger comes up for me. What is that? What, why is that? You know, what is the deeper source of this emotion that's very helpful in showing me direction? But I'm not that emotion. I'm not an angry person. I'm, you know, so kind of those practices, I think, just taking the time to reflect is very helpful. And it's hard. There are mornings when I don't feel like journaling. And what I do is I write about the fact that I don't feel like journaling and I don't, yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. and then through it, it's like, oh, I might be feeling on edge or maybe I need to rest more or something going on. So it's just that discipline that re- has really helped me deepen that self-awareness practice. I love the idea, though, that uh, even in the moments where we don't feel like journaling or reflecting, there's the interesting thing to reflect on in that moment is the resistance to reflect. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> it, it's, it's like sometimes when people tell me they're bored, uh, I always think boredom is is mainly like a discomfort with the present moment because uh-huh. if we start to observe our our mind, the chatter in it, the thoughts, the feelings, like there's just a there's a vast universe going on inside every single one of us uh, mm-hmm. if we're if we're willing to look at it. Exactly. Exactly. There's so much going on. I love that one actually about boredom. And I have um young kids and my 5-year-old is in a phase right now where he's bored. I'm bored. I'm right. bored. You know, and we talk a lot about well that's your thing that you need to navigate. That's what look at all the things that are going on and you point out all the things that are happening in the present moment. There is so much to be fascinated by, but it takes that self-reflection and awareness of kind of pulling out of your emotion. You are not this emotion, you know, pulling out of it and say, I'm experiencing boredom. What does that feel like? You know, you can, you can actually entertain yourself or engage yourself by reflecting on the boredom, right? (laughs) Like I'm feeling bored. What does this feel? Where do I feel it? All of those pieces. And that I think is um, very helpful from meditation. But, and I I think this is a key step, you know, even when you're describing about how these are my values or I get clear in my values. Like, I think this is a, this self-awareness because you, you mentioned earlier the sense that so many people think that they're, what their values are almost are what's put upon them. And it's almost this this self-reflection piece and is so key then I think in separating ourselves from the, you know, you separating ourselves from the thoughts, sure, but then examining where is everything coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there's this kind of lovely kind of sequential kind of idea of how you've built up, up, built up this current perspective or this current place. Just one thing that I, I wanted to ask at, at the time when you mentioned it and how you've even framed, how you even came to start looking at, you know, the idea of regret. And then this uh, this idea of working with people towards their end of their life. How did how did that emerge for you? Can you talk me through how this became something that you you were also taking on while taking on building a new business while being a mother as well? How did how did this end of life doula work come to to be? So the so I have experienced death. I experienced death pretty early on um, in terms of actually losing two very close friends before I was eighteen. And that made a large impact on how I saw the world. I think I was introduced to the concept of mortality in very formidable years of my life and with people that were young and things that, you know, this wasn't people living a long, happy life and dying when they were older. And in a way, at first it instilled fear in me of, oh my gosh, anything can happen. 
you know, and that fear, I think, evolved into a very healthy fear of realizing that this is finite. Like we have, we are not going to live forever. If anything that we all share is the fact that we're going to die, um, not to get too heavy here, but that, so that kind of familiarity and thinking about how I live my life because it really is precious each day. My mom does hospice volunteering. And so I saw the work that she was doing there. And so that is something that I started. And to be honest, it was just really moving work and talking to these people and listening about their lives and kind of understanding these common threads that many shared. The death doula thing, if I'm completely honest, it just came to me. Like if I was journaling, I was doing the kind of self-reflection, deep work, planning things. And this kind of just thing came and said, I want to work more deeply with the dying how do I, but in a like supportive, emotional way. And so I started exploring that idea of what that would look like. And I came across a death doula. And the second I read about it, it just, I was like, I have to do this. This is such beautiful work. I have to be part of this. And so that's when I started my training uh, to become a death doula. Uh, this is a... The role really resonates with me too. I don't know what, what my future holds, mm. but uh, there's something... I don't know, there's something that you said there, though, in terms of just this, like, death is coming for us all. And it's not even, like, it's amazing how much we avoid this, given that, like, you know, death and taxes, right? Like, this is, and I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say it's too cold around death or too detached from the emotional impact of death. Absolutely not. But there is something amazing, I think, in our lives if we don't get comfortable with it. And I'm not saying that we, we detach from all our, or we, we remove all our attachments in life. You know, you have kids, I have a child on their way. You know, like there's, there's things where I think of when I think of death, of course, my mind goes to my attachments to certain relationships. But there is something I think so liberating in terms of getting a little bit more comfortable with this. And, and just there's so much to, to learn from it too. And um, just when you mentioned there kind of threads or, or kind of consistencies you you noticed amongst talking with people that are that are towards the end of life like what what did you start to to observe so one is kind of on the point that we were just talking about that everybody ends up in the same place and right. in those later conversations so rarely is anyone talking about what they do for a living or did for a living and they're talking about their family. They're talking about things that they're proud of. So sometimes that can be things in the professional context. But I think, you know, in kind of meeting with people, seeing, having these conversations with people that have done remarkable things professionally, and they're in the same position and they look very similar to the person that didn't do any what society would call remarkable things professionally. They're the same, you know, you're still helping them stand up or sometimes they're not able to stand. You're still helping them with water. You're, there's still feelings of regret. So seeing kind of those similarities in terms of where we start and when, where we end up, I think provides like that feeling of almost not taking the whole thing so seriously and knowing that there is a, a deadline <laughs> to life in terms of when yeah. it expires. And like it's, your path is, I think that that's it. Your path is very personal. That that would be one that I see. And then a common, common thread is I wish I would have spent more time with the people I loved. I wish I would have told my son that I love him. 
I wish I would have spent more time with my partner. Those are the common things. And I get a lot too, because of, I think where I am in my life, I get a lot of advice that comes, you know, of like, be with your kids, enjoy these moments, which for me is, like I said, I have three little kids. There are moments where it's really intense. And I'm reminded of that, of this is just temporary and I will miss this stage and it will not be all always so messy and chaotic, but this is that season, like enjoy the season because it's not coming back around. Um, so that's been really insightful from people. And I think too, one of the things that we've lost as a society here, especially in the United States, is the respecting the sacredness of death. You know, birth is something we celebrate here. And there are obviously very differences. Like you said, the attachment is very, there's so much grief associated with losing people. But it's a sacred rite of passage like birth is. And so creating more beauty around it. And because this is a tragic process that it does involve a lot of grief, why can't we bring some beauty to it? in terms of how it goes instead of this fear closed behind closed doors, you know, or a lot of that, like maybe we do the best we can to make this meaningful for the dying person and their family. And when actually, when I kind of got, was called, I think, to do this work, we were living in Costa Rica. And so I'm so excited. I found this, you know, death doula program I'm going to do. I get all started. And then I start asking the community, okay, like, where are the dying people? Where do people go to die? Where, you know, and everyone looked at me like I was insane. I said, well, they go home and they're with their families and their families handle this process. This isn't something we need, you know, really assistant with assistance with. And we're here in the States. I'm used to, you know, retirement homes and nursing homes. And yeah, those, yeah. those are the common clientele of this process. And so I think that was also really inspiring to me of how do we talk about death? How do we handle death in our families? And like, what's just how do we bring more meaning to something that is scary um, and is very sad, um, but can't we also make it beautiful or meaningful? I don't know. There's something so kind of enriching almost about this idea of trying to find the beauty and the tragic. Um, mm -hmm. And it's such a nice kind of idea to take through anything that life is kind of throwing at us. And, you know, you're even kind of reflecting on meaning here as well, like in terms of well, what, knowing what brings me meaning, knowing what is meaningful, and then almost this connection with beauty and, and pain. Like it, it sounds like a paradox, but I, I think the more we pay attention to our lives, you know, there's sometimes, no matter how self-determining we are in terms of our efforts, there's sometimes things in life that just we can't avoid. And, and clearly, obviously, death is the ultimate version mm -hmm. of this. But even throughout the rest of our lives, there's, I, I can only imagine what an important lesson this is that you've taken from, from these experiences. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think in just learning each day. But that's, that's true. I mean, life is not easy. And for all the beautiful, wonderful things that happen, they're also really hard really sad, really traumatic things that are part of life. And I, I feel that I've been there like every other human and had these experiences. And I feel strongly that death doesn't necessarily have to be all that, you know, it, it's very sad. And it can also be a beautiful closing of 
our life. And so I think, but that's a challenging thing because again, as we're talking about the broader conversation here, we're fed all these things, all this information comes in, you know, death is scary. We don't want to think about death. We don't want to acknowledge the fact that we are going to pass at some point, just this like pushing away of the only thing we're certain is going to happen. Um, yeah. It's that, that always just, I don't know. That was, you know, kind of the social world outside things coming in that didn't align with me. I thought, you know, I, I don't believe that. And why not use it, use this fact as a way to inspire how we live our lives in a way that's meaningful to us in a way that makes positive impact on others. I find it as a great clarifier and a great tool, you know, the understanding the fact that this is certainly going to happen and that my time here is limited. It's a great motivator, not out of fear, but just out of the fact that, wow, I'm fortunate enough to be alive today. But then I make it the best that I can or contribute yeah. in a way that has meaning. And I, I know you mentioned this experience where, you know, sadly you were confronted with death uh, at, an, at an earlier age or at a time like, or with, with friends that obviously that's not in, that's not the expected experience, whatever, when we're a little bit older and when maybe we lose a grandparent and then working in the hospital, uh, working, you've seen your mom working in the hospice and then contributing to this as well. Did you, you know, was this something that you had to get used to or was this something that it the, I, like, I know you mentioned when you actually then went and did the, were seeking Datulas that it felt like it found you and there was something very kind of natural or symbiotic to it. But did you have to get used to this or was there a comfort, inherent comfort there? I think there was an inherent comfort, but it still took getting used to. I think it's both. Yeah. You know, I felt comfortable going into the space, but I remember the first hospice patient that I met with, I was so awkward because I didn't know what to ask him. And I had this thing of like, well, we all, everybody knows the elephant in the room here, he's dying. Like, what do I say? How do I not offend him? Like, you know, I felt all of those things. And then I was just yeah. really awkward in the conversation and there was not a connection. And then just in time, it was like, whatever, like just have a conversation with somebody for however you would have a conversation and just get curious. But that took learning. And there are still times as well, you know, depending upon what people are going through, that it can be uncomfortable. You don't know this person very well. And they're in one of the most significant seasons of their life. And you're coming in, yeah. you know, so that's where I find I lean on curiosity. I lean on listening and just learning and saying, how can I get to know this person better? How can I learn more about what matters to them? Um, and just really focusing on creating the space for them to share whatever they feel is important to share. Yeah. Once again, like I, I think there's such lessons in that just for a de general day-to-day -day engagements, right? Like you can just, you don't always have to say something. You can just, you can just create the space for whatever needs to emerge. It, it will emerge. Um, uh -huh. You know, you mentioned when I asked you kind of what question are you trying to answer as you move through life and this idea of authenticity kind of came up as well as, as part of your answer. It just, it seems so interesting that it almost seems like this would almost be the, the most authentic space that you could meet somebody in if you're both present in that moment when, when there is an awareness that somebody is dying. Yes, exactly. It all comes out on the table. 
Um, and you, you know, oftentimes too, you're sometimes family members are present, but oftentimes you're alone with the person. And I've ha- I've heard things and stories about, you know, people that have been married, but were in love with someone else their whole life. And they'll have conversations. I mean, it's all out on the table at that point. And I think this is what I find so inspiring about the work that um, death doulas are doing is you create space for people to get that out and to talk about it. You know, some people have never uttered these things in their whole life. And a stranger comes in for emotional support and they're like, great, I've been holding this in, you know? And so I think that you do really see people's true colors in terms of what was meaningful for them. And there is a comfort in sharing that things that they may have never said out loud. In terms of your journey with authenticity, I know you're saying that uh, uh, like um, more self-awareness is coming into your life, especially with the the big career choices you've had to you uh, you've made and setting up your own business and 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 just kind of thinking about things uh, on in different ways. How would you kind of characterize your own journey then, even with uh, with authenticity? Very humbling. I think in terms of, (laughs) you know, always learning and kind of having that openness. Um, Yeah. And it's a constant work in progress. I think that's the entirety of your life experience. And if you have, you know, I mean, for me, it's, I just hope that I'm open enough and curious enough and self-aware enough to make decisions in a way that aligns with me, but I don't always like anybody. I don't always. And that's where the 80 year old self, she just helps me so much because I think of those conversations that I've had with people in hospice or um, who are dying and the pain of the regret that is experienced or the pain of not making a decision in alignment with who they are. It's so palpable that that's kind of what motivates me in moments of like, oh, I got to make this decision. This is aligned with me, but it's going to be hard and I'm going to disappoint some people and all of those things and kind of saying, okay, that's my present. And then 80 year old self, what would she feel if I didn't do this? And it's always like, oh, I definitely don't want to, I don't want to be the person at the end of my life sharing my regrets with my emotional support team. I want to be reflecting on the way that I lived a good life, you know, that I lived a life that was meaningful to me, that I helped people in a way that I wanted to, that I lived with love and led with love. And so by reducing, making those decisions that I might regret down the road, I create more space to create opportunities to live in a way that I think is a way that I would be proud of. Yeah, that's... uh... This this whole fr- like this eight to eighty is such a powerful framing. <laughs> like it, it really is. Like it, it's it, it seems to. I love this idea as well of you. You almost like when you take that the elder perspective. It's like seeing what the the amplified or magnified consequences of that choice could be over a longer period of time, and then Definitely. dovetailing that into this experience of like having hands-on experience of seeing people have these consistent regrets about ways of of living there seems to be so much value in people like i've i've recently interviewed a a woman who uh runs a she works with uh bodies and and treats people uh the bodies and and there's also some engagement as well with towards the end of life but 
there seemed she said something along the lines of uh she recommends that everyone touches a cold foot at some point in their life like and and even just from what you're taught there seems to be this other experience then that you're getting in just that, those moments up to the the point of departure where it's all you know you've used the expression a couple of times it's all coming out on the table like that even with the like well what is a stranger initially that they're just they can't contain this anymore they need to just mm -hmm. shed themselves of it. It, it as a combination it seems like a really there seems to be so much uh almost like power to it definitely definitely and i think too in this process just on the 88 year old self the integration of the eight-year-old self is really helpful too because everything that we're talking about is very profound. It's heavy. It's a bit serious, you know. And that's where the eight-year-old comes into and is like so often because I, I am very guilty of getting so serious about something and completely yeah. consumed, and it's end-all, be-all if I don't take this opportunity or whatever. And that's sometimes where the eight-year-old is like, "But are, are you having fun?" Is it fun? Like, yeah. are you in, can we play a little bit in that? Um, and that just helps for me, like manage the situations in a way that's like, okay, it can be meaningful and like it can be playful because it's serious, but it's not that serious because we're all going to die. Like there, you know, like there's a, yeah, yeah, a wonderful yeah. liberation um, in that as well. When did you start to, because I, I know from my person, for my sake, like I almost went through this arc of, you know, getting in involved in finance in my twenties, taking that as a main focus or, you know, my sense of creativity, or even I didn't pick up a pen, I think until my early thirties then where journaling became a big thing for me as well. And I, I almost think ironically, like that I have more fun in my, or playfulness in my thirties than I did in my twenties. How, like how have you kind of how's the eight-year-old influence proceedings or over over what kind of timeline yeah so i mean really that concept of eight and 80 year old um has been something that's come in maybe the past like five-ish years so this has not been my whole life at all um and i'm still learning to be honest i i was never like play as a person, even as a child, I was very serious. I'm the oldest. I was very responsible. You know, I had this vision of becoming this, this professional woman, which was very out of where I was kind of raised and the norm of thought there. And so I was just focused, you know, you do this, you get into the school, you do this. And I checked it all off. And I was so focused on that. I think once I got my job and I had made it, I had this moment of like, now what do I do? Like, what do I do? I've been following this plan for so long. And so that phase brought up a lot of insecurity in me in terms of what I was doing with my life. So I threw myself into work, which is what a lot of people do, because I didn't want to pay attention yeah. to the fact I was uncomfortable. But for me, it's kids. It's my kids. You know, kids come along and they wonderfully mess up any plans that you have you know they are <laughs> in a wonderful way that i've learned to appreciate but that took time and learning and i was so serious like we have to schedule we're going to do this and it would never none of it worked and the pancake mix is always spilled on the floor you know that's just like and that's okay and just trying to and i'm still working on this every day to trying to just laugh about those things and find the silliness and you know what you just clean up the floor so I think the playfulness really only in my oldest is seven. And I think that that's something that I'm working on kind of each day. I'm actually reading a book right now on fun in terms of having fun, the importance of fun for our mental health, the importance of fun for our physical health. 
And it's very ironic that sometimes for me that I'm actually reading a book about how to have fun and having to reteach myself how to play. But that's that eight year old self. You know, she said, you're doing great, accomplishing all these things. But like, are you having fun? And a part of me was like, wow, I don't even necessarily remember how to do that anymore. So just listen. And I'm so glad that I listened to that and that I'm starting to go into that space because it's so much more fun and enjoyable. Like I won't regret having fun. It's so interesting. Like I think from, I think even from my perspective, even exploring more spaces of, let's say even vulnerability, like, you know, you mentioned this idea of authenticity being quite a humbling path at times because we do have such fixed views of life um, and moments. And I think it's when those models kind of break or they no longer um, sustain us. Like, you know, you, you hit all your goals, for example, and then you look around and it's like, is this it? Like, and mm-hmm. work, work harder, God damn it. You, you know, we've got a, you know, a, then, then I don't have to feel this discomfort, but there's something really nice about this, you know, going through some of these moments and, and almost like recapturing our, our childish uh, playfulness or curiosity, like e- even to be able to to go from a period of time where I couldn't name my emotions to, you know, you were talking about as well, just getting comfortable with these things, like or in journaling, getting comfortable with certain feelings being present and inquiring about them and not, not resisting them. I, I think there's like this beautiful, like bookending your perspectives with me in my present moment me my older self my younger self and then this awareness that you're talking about too of of knowing that you're gonna have to recalibrate like there's Uh a that there's this is constantly changing and and then even some of the things you're saying in terms of the things you've learned from from uh, tending to the dying is is just the the like the the nuggets of wisdom then of like no just i know children are chaotic but this kind of sense of awareness that you're trying to bring to that as well. Like, and, and it's, we don't have to sugarcoat everything, right? Like we don't have to say that it, or silver line everything and always say everything is wonderful. But this idea again of like trying to find the the joy or the playfulness in something that may be irritating us in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And what what is the learning even? You're absolutely right. It's not, there are really hard things each day, especially with kids. Um, but the learnings, you know, uh, one of my, my five-year-old is really in the why phase. Why? Why do, okay, we need to do it this way. Why? Because blah, blah, blah. Why? And I find myself getting to the point because my answer is just because, because, you know, and then I (laughs) reflect and I'm like, he's got a point. Like, does that make sense? Why do we do it this way? And just having that curiosity, you don't have to have children, I think, but just exposing yourself to children. Um, can be really helpful. They're great teachers. If you can get out of all of the conditioning that you have of how things are supposed to be, because they're, they're seeing the world afresh. And so their questions and criticism, sometimes you're like, we don't, we don't question that. And they're like, why, why do we do it this way? You know, it helps you look at every single thing you're doing and reflect on, does this actually make the most sense? And if I, and so often too, that, that I've been so humbled in parenting, cause I'll have this rule that I have created. This is the rule and this is how, how things are done. And then they'll poke and I'll be like, why, you know, why? And I'll get to that point where it's just because, and I have this reflection of, 
actually, that doesn't make any sense. Like, scratch that. Sorry, I made a mistake. I've learned something. Like, forget that rule. That doesn't make any sense. And we won't use that in our, you know, in our family or raising kids. And it's just been, I find that so rewarding because I've been working and living with adults and professionals and we're all kind of thinking very similar things. And there's this common unspoken code of how we do things. And my kids just keep teaching me so many things of like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Or thank you for that fresh perspective. Like I see, I have deep respect for my kids in terms of their perspectives and their opinions. I don't let them run wild and all of that, but they they have something to teach me with a fresh set of eyes. It's like getting that advisor for your company that thinks of things really differently and can really challenge yeah. the way that you're thinking or strengthen the way that you're thinking and help you really find your values and what's meaningful to you. So I don't know why I went on a tangent about my kids. I love my kids. No, no, this is this. <laughs> there's no tangent here whatsoever. Usually when people say they're going on a tangent, I'm always like, welcome to my world. Um, no, but, but this is, this is a, I think that's really insightful though, because in in trying to even go from the idea of authenticity, um, you know, to the idea of the authenticity of someone on their deathbed, um, but also then the authenticity of a child and their curiosity. And there's something to integrate from both perspectives. And and just even when you mentioned the idea of humility with authenticity, I think it is literally that, right? Like it, it's being able to hear either contradictory information or information that may even like jar with us, uh, like or questions that may jar with us, but they can it still can reveal something. And and I th- and I think uh, I don't know. To me, that just sounds like that's the continu- and you use the term fresh set of eyes. Like it's almost the and then the beginner's mind. You uh-huh. know, like it's it's that capacity. Like so, I, I think the I don't know. It's a, it's a wonderful way of like incorporating more perspectives in our lives. Definitely. Definitely. You know, just over the the course of the conversation, I, I must say, I, I thought I was almost going to be talking to you more even about like your experience of going through with your company, because I, I mentioned even <laughs> some posts that I'd read of yours, which I just found like stunning in terms of like just the the wisdom that you distilled from your experience in that. But the, the conversation has gone in this different direction, um, even maybe from what I was anticipating. And, and there's like this really lovely perspective, I think, of, you know, you've talked about values and authenticity at the start. You've also talked about, you know, the idea that it, the humility of knowing that it will change. Like then, you know, going through life, realizing where, okay, I know I've really hit my values on the head when I'm making a difficult decision, like setting up your company doing something kind of against the grain um, but it felt easy yeah it was scary and all the other drama that comes with big decisions in life but it felt for you and your partner at work it felt easy so everyone was telling you that it was courageous but that's a great way of knowing what our values are then like even just the courage with the courage that that gives us to go our own way in life as well then this sense of you know I, I guess we also have to call it kind of contributing to others too by even volunteering at the hospice but then you know you're talking about learning so many times during the course of this conversation and the amount of you know the situations that presents then in terms of working with the dying and then following a curiosity and once again when when kind of stepping into that almost feeling like that it it came to you there was something very natural like you had opened up a space where you could sense these things like and and this comes from this, like, you know, you're talking about like awareness, self-awareness in terms of meditation, in terms of journaling. And, and then just this sense of 
you know, building this model of your eight to 80 year old uh, self and, and almost those characters manifesting in your life too, like with your children, you know, with your children and, and then the work that you're doing as a, as a doula as well. And then learning from both equally, like, and then the openness to that, the, the willingness or the acceptance to be, to, to be challenged. Uh, and then, but like very much leading your life then through this sense of, I don't want to have regrets. I, I see that like it's it's very, very tangible when I'm in these situations that this is this is something that's coming. But then also seeing things life in, in not such a, a fixed sense of like the paradox of seeing that there can be real beauty in, in, in death even. There can be even opportunity and tragedy like you've seen life through a less fearful eyes after some time when some friends had passed even and just like the the kind of paradox of death bringing gratitude to your life or like a a sense of like focusing on figuring out what a sense of meaning is and so forth so just given that we've geez we've covered so you've covered so much in this conversation in terms of giving us i guess a sense of an insight into to what's what's important to you in life and, and of course it goes without saying family given the choices that you've made from your career and and prioritizing time with your children but then also doing your career your way what, what would you say to the to the question of, of what is a good life for you Anna? I mean I think that it's that you know living in alignment with your values finding the things that bring you joy and making time for them not doing them when you have time making time for the things yeah. that provide you joy or fulfillment purpose those things that and that can be anything from exercising to you know profound impact work in the world i think that if you've lived true to yourself authentically and lived in alignment with your values and what's meaningful to you if i if i did that i would feel that I lived a good life. I would feel comfortable that I lived a good life. Yeah, uh, look, your your views resonate almost a hundred percent with mine in terms of I, I think that values piece is just so essential, and to truly knowing what's what are your values, like your personal values, not what anyone else is telling you them to be uh, them to be. So, I think from the outside looking in, anyway, Hannah, based on the the life choices that you're making and the 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 ownership you're taking and the the changes that you're seeing through in your own life and the meaning that you're deriving from your own life, it seems like it's serving you pretty well. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Well, Anna, look, thank you so, so much for, for joining me on the What is a Good Life podcast. I've really enjoyed it. I've definitely learned a lot and, and definitely I'll, I'll, be, I'll be stealing this 8 to 80 from you for sure. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> thank you so much for having me here. I really enjoyed this conversation. And like I said, I'm a big fan of what you're doing. So thank you again for the opportunity.